joining us for the latest message at Island Church. to get out of that it's hard to leave <laughs> oh, we're so thankful though we're so thankful for his presence so thankful for everything he does when we come together mm-hmm. I don't know there's just something so special about the body coming together yeah. I think that's why God has put it on my heart to talk about unity in the body is because unity in the body it, it enables God to do things mm-hmm. that are that are special that are more than he can do (laughs) when we're not in unity. We'll say it that way. Um, You know, this, uh, I guess as we were praying, um, Ryan was just uh, reminding me of of the body of Christ in the book of Acts. And when when the church started, you know, as they were gathered together, um, they were in one accord. You know, and that, that being in one accord is such a, a powerful thing. It enabled a very small group of people to impact the whole world. You know, what happened in that upper room, it, it started a fire within those people. And that small group of people went out and just started changing the world like wildfire spreading. You know, and I just doesn't matter how many of us are gathered here if we can be in one accord if we will gather together if we will be in one accord it's the same spirit one spirit that is in all of us that we should all be yielding to and as we do that we're going to be in one accord more and more and more and his power is going to flow more freely and more freely we're going to be able to touch and impact more and more lives Um, You know, last time, I'm not going to go over, um, really review the last message that I taught on unity, but, you know, I would encourage you, uh, we're studying out of Ephesians chapter 4, and I would definitely encourage you, go back over those scriptures that um, Ephesians uh, 4 verses 1 through 16 um, are just vital for learning about, for meditating on. For understanding what's on God's heart you know God has a heart for his church God created the church he created the body of Christ and you know just what a privilege and an honor it is to be invited to be invited into his body to be a part of what he's doing here on this earth Um, so today we're gonna be in verse 17 to start and I really, you know, just wanted to take this letter to the church um, line by line. And that's, that's mostly what we did last time. We did a little bit of introductory work. Uh, but today we are going to very literally just dig in and study line by line. Um, now these first few verses, verses 17 through 24, we're going to be reading together out of the ESV, and these are new life instructions. They're very detailed descriptions of the distinctions between believers and unbelievers. And they give us wisdom on how to come out of those old habits, out of those old ways of life that are 
really for the unbeliever. They're not for the believer and how to start walking in and putting on your new identity in Christ. And, you know, really we're going to have to get that union in him, that identity in him settled for ourselves before we're able to connect corporately as well. You know, we're not going to be um, great at connecting and being uh, being purposeful in the body, being fruitful in the body, unless we kind of have some of these truths settled. So I believe that's why the Lord put this into this letter in this place. And, you know, these first few verses, like I said, kind of all deals with us individually. And then as we go into the other um, the other few verses to end chapter four, it's going to be a lot of verses that are for the body, how to act within the body, what should be in the body, what shouldn't be in the body. Um, but there, I always thought these verses were just little nuggets, like a little piece here, a little piece there that they didn't connect. And the Lord really just unfolded that to me, how they all connect. So I'm excited to get to that. But I'm going to read here verse uh, 17 through 24, and then we'll go and we'll break it down verse by verse. So it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack in those few verses. Um, We're going to start here with verse 17. Now, the Holy Ghost speaking through Paul starts with a serious tone because he's saying that these things um, that, that are being said in this letter, they are being said as a witness and affirming or testifying together with the Lord. So this is not just Paul writing a letter. This is him saying, this is what the Lord's saying. Listen up. The Lord is testifying with me. He is saying these same same things with me. So that should get our attention. And then there's a command. There's a lot of commands in here. So we are commanded, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles are, are just unbelievers, okay? They're people who are not in the family of God. So, and walking is a way of saying conducting your life. How we live matters. You know, God, God is concerned about the way we live. And he's saying, your life cannot walk. You cannot look like the Gentiles. You cannot look like the unbelievers in the way that you live anymore. You must no longer, you're going to have to stop it. <laughs> okay. And um, we're ca- specifically commanded to stay out of these uh, ways of life of the unbelievers. Now we get into a description. What does this look like? First off, unbelieving way of life is described as having futility in the mind. Okay, that word for futility is literally jam-packed with meaning. Um, It means vanity. It means emptiness, unreality, purposelessness, ineffectiveness, instability, false religion. These are all, you know, (laughs) 
all contained in this one word, futility. So, you know, that's the, the thing about the English language is when we're reading the Bible in the English language, it is so, so valuable to get into the lexicon, to get into these study tools that we have, the concordance. Study out these words because they are jam-packed with meaning, and the more you can understand what they mean, the easier time you're going to have walking in them. Okay, so that futility of the mind, that's in the thoughts, the ideas, the imaginations, and how are they empty? How are they ineffective? How are they aimless? They are void of truth, okay? Because truth only comes from God, from his word, so this describes people who are living apart from, separated from God's truth and his word, or they're in rebellion to it, okay? And we're going to see that as we go on, just that there's options where people are, you know, they're in futility in their mind because they just don't know any better, you know? But then there's also a futility in the mind that is out of rebellion that's because they don't want to be. They don't want to be God, do things God's way. So it describes them as having futility in their minds, that they are darkened in their understanding, meaning that their ability to understand truth is obscured, blinded, lacking light and vision. The unbeliever cannot comprehend truth because there's no light apart from Jesus. And if you haven't allowed Jesus in to shine the light, you can't receive truth, okay? So they're darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from the life of God. Now, alienated means estranged and it means to be a non-participant. So every human being, everybody is created for the purpose of participating, thank you, participating in God's kingdom life. These people, they're described as being alienated from that life. Now, kingdom life to the unbeliever is strange and it's foreign, okay? It shouldn't be to us. Now, these things that are described as you're hearing them, just keep in mind, this shouldn't describe us. We're believers. This is describing unbelievers, you know? So if you start seeing some of these things and thinking, oh, okay, that's in me, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to... How do I come out of the unbelieving way of life? How do I come in to the life of a believer? Okay, so then, it's, then it tells us why. It tells us that there's ignorance. There's a lack of information or truth. Now, once again, that can be willful. You know, you can be ignorant because no one's ever told you. You can be ignorant because you've never heard the gospel. Or you can be ignorant because you don't want to hear the gospel because you refuse to listen to what your creator says. You refuse to listen to his truth. And all of this is through um, hardness of heart and callousness. It says they have become callous. It's due to their hardness of heart. So all of these things flow out of a hardness of heart and a callousness. You know, that's a, a insensitivity. It's a numbness. Um, it's a deadness. And that word for callousness is literally unfeeling, unable to feel pain. So we all know like if our heart gets hardened and it gets calloused, we, we are insensitive. We are dead to truth. We are dead to God's word coming into us. And, and 
it causes us to be reckless. It says unfeeling, ceasing to care, reckless. So these hardened, calloused hearts cause people to stay ignorant, causes them to be unable to understand truth, stuck in vain thoughts and imaginations, which are opinions, by the way, and estranged from the life of God. And goes even further to describe in this lifestyle, they are given over to sensuality. Sensuality uh, means lewdness, filthiness, unrestrained indulgence, and brutal violence. So when you are darkened in your understanding, when you are separated from the truth of God, there will, you will develop appetites, okay? And they're not going to be good appetites. And these are the appetites of unbelievers. It also says greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So that greedy, it's covetous. It's lusting for what doesn't belong to you or lusting for more than what is good. And these people have a lust for a participation in things that are impure, things that are ungodly, um, things that are unrighteous. They are not participants in the life of God, but they are participants in impurity. They're participants. They practice. They're uh, participants with sensuality. Um, they have strong appetites, appetites for things that are filthy and impure that God says, these are wrong and bad for you. You know, and that's where we have to know God does not give us boundaries to harm us or hurt us or keep us from what is good. You know, he is protecting us because even though these things may look good the way the world dresses them up, it's a trap and it's a trick and it's not true. Okay, so then verse 20 goes on and it warns us that these ways of living are not how we learned Christ, assuming that we were taught correctly according to the truth that is in Jesus. Now, assuming that we were taught correctly means there are obviously people who are coming into church, uh, coming into the body who have not been taught correctly, that there are false teachers and they are promoting a false gospel. They are saying, live like the heathens, live like the unbelievers, doesn't matter. It's okay. You know, if you were taught correctly, though, there's something that you should be doing, and that is putting off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, our past may look like that description that we heard about unbelievers. Our past may look like that. That's okay. That's an unbelieving way of living. But we have been reborn and empowered by Holy Spirit to come out of that, to do something about it. And it's a command to us, take off. You do it. You take off your old self. It's up to you. You have a choice. Okay. So that old self and that old way of living is corrupt. It is literally rotting and decomposing. You know, if you want to think about the life that you lived before you were born again, it was literally rotting and decomposing. That was the way of life you lived. That was where you were headed. You were decomposing day by day like the walking dead, okay? Like a zombie, you were just falling apart, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's where you were headed. That's, that's the visual that we have about this way of living, that it's corrupt. And where does this corruption come from? It comes from deceitful desires. Okay, those are less longing passions, which are fraudulent tricks. 
So they look good, but they're highly destructive. It's like bait with poison inside. It's like Satan offering you, you know, this beautiful French pastry, but inside of it, there's poison. You know, it looks really nice, but it's a trap. It's a trick. And that is what deceitful desires are. These deceitful desires, these wrong desires bring corruption. Um, they're one of the roots of how people are walking in this old manner of life still is the root of it. There's wrong desires in you. There's deceitful desires in you. Wrong desires are explained in James 1, 14 through 16. I'm going to read this to you from the Passion Translation. It says, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. Evil desires give birth to evil actions. And when sin is fully mature, it can murder you. So my friends, don't be fooled by your own desires. It is our job as the body of Christ to take on the desires of Christ, to yield to his desires. You know, the greatest way we can do this is to desire him. You know, that has been so strong in my spirit. Even just tonight as we're praying, as we're worshiping, our desire has to be so intense for him, you know, that we could not live, we could not breathe, we could not go one moment without him. That we have to have such a strong desire for him and that, that desire, it'll link up with what his desires are. You know, if we desire him, if we desire who he is, his perfection, then his desires will have an opening to flow through us. They'll, they'll, we will be open and yielded to his desires, which will deliver us out of these deceitful desires. When we don't yield ourselves to his desires, though, we're operating in our old carnal desires. And those are deceitful. They are dangerous. They lure us back into darkness. Okay? So we don't want to go back into that trap of having those deceitful desires. You know, that's where sin is birthed from. It's just that little thought, that little desire, and then you, you feed it because you think on it and you talk about it and you give it life, you know, and then it comes to life. It, it comes into sin. It produces something. It produces an action that goes along with those thoughts. And like the passion said, it can murder you. You know, you don't want to open those doors again. <laughs> um, so take off. We take off this old yucky identity and its desires, and we do what? We are told to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. This is to renovate or reform, which is a constant process of going higher. You know, a constant renovation that gets better and better. A constant reformation that gets better and better. It's always going to a higher level. And what is going to a higher level? What is getting renovated and reformed? Our ways of thinking, our opinions, our imaginations and ideas. Our minds have a tendency to be a very fertile field for unrenewed thoughts. We have to do something about it. Once again, we're commanded, you do it. You renew your mind, okay? We renew our minds by immersing them in the word of God. By praying in the spirit. What does praying in the spirit does? It puts you in a state where your mind's not fruitful, where it doesn't have dominion over you. That's right. When you pray in the spirit, it strengthens your spirit to overpower your mind. 
okay, by meditating on and speaking God's truth constantly. These are ways that we renew our minds, you know. Um, our minds are at enmity. They are in opposition to God naturally. Our minds fight the truth. So we have to fill them up so full of truth that there's no room for any falsehood. There's no room left. You know, if your mind is constantly filled. Now, I think what most of us tend to do is we take a little pinch of the word and we put it in and we think, tick, did my duty for the day. I read the word and then that's it. There's a lot of room left in your mind. You did not fill it up. <laughs> There's a lot of room for the world, for all of these carnal thoughts. You know, and, and this is something that we've got to get hungry. This is an appetite. As we desire him, he will put that desire in us to hunger for the word, to want it constantly, to think about it constantly. Now, look, we may not can walk around day in and day out with our Bible. We have, you know, jobs to do. We have things we have to accomplish. But up here, we can always, always, always be meditating, be thinking, be chewing on, you know, just like a cow chews its cud. I know that's kind of gross, but you take something in and there's so much in it. There's so many nutrients in that, that they don't just swallow it and digest it. They keep chewing it because there's so much to, to draw out of that, you know, and we're drawing all this out of the word. So even if you, you know, whatever you're studying in the word, just meditate on it. Just keep it going through your mind. You know, keep your mind full of it. Whatever it takes, it's so worthwhile. And there has to be room for truth because truth is the basis for unity. If y'all remember last time, truth unites us. You know, we are united by his truth, not by our own truth, not by our own opinions, by what he says, by his truth. That's what unites us as the body. And as we do this, we also put on something. So we're taking off something and we're putting on something. We're putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is an ongoing daily process of dying to our old selves and embracing our new selves, embracing our new identity. They're created by God in his likeness, an image of righteousness, of holiness that comes through his truth. You know, it's, it's like you walk into your closet every morning and there's two pieces of clothing to choose from. And one of them is filthy, torn up, stinky, old, disgusting, rotting, falling apart. And the other one is beautiful. It's handsome. It smells wonderful. It does not age and it flatters you perfectly. Those are your choices when you get up every morning. And what are you going to put on? You know, if there's anything left of that old one, you're going to have to take it off. That's your choice. You know, there are choices every day that we have to be pur purposeful about. We have to wake up and take it into consideration. Which garment am I going to put on? Am I going to put on the old self? Am I going to allow the old self to attach itself to me? Because it wants to. Or am I going to put on that new self, that robe of righteousness? You know, it doesn't even sound like it's a choice because it's very obvious. But if, if we'll be intentional, 
when we get up every morning about thinking about these things, it's going to make our lives a lot easier. Okay, so then we go into these next verses. And like I said, these are instructions for us operating as the body. So we've talked about being in unity with him as his new creation person, how to do that. Now we're going to talk about some tips that he gives us here for the whole body. Okay, so verse 25 through 32. And I'll read the whole thing once again. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Once again, it's a lot to unpack. And literally, you could probably do a sermon series on almost any one of these truths, but we are just looking at it as a whole. So we're going to go through it quickly. (laughs) I'm sure you're hoping it's quickly. Okay, so verse 25 instructs us to put away falsehood. Anything that's not true, anything untrue has to be put away. Once again, it's a command. You do it. You put away falsehood. And let us speak truth to one another. There shouldn't be any leaving out of truth, any compromising of truth, any watering down of truth in order to please people around us. Remember that speaking the truth of love is one of our protections against deception. And it's also a fertilizer that helps the body grow. Some translations say neighbor. This word just means those in close proximity to us. It describes us as being members joined together like members of a body or limbs of a body. So we should speak truth especially to members of the body, okay? Because for one thing, we can handle the truth. You know, unbelievers cannot always handle the whole truth. We should speak truth, but they cannot always handle everything we get in the Word of God. But among the body, we need to speak the truth. Um, No matter who we're around, but especially when we're meant to be in unity because truth promotes and establishes unity in the body. Okay. Now verse 26, this is interesting. I never really had a great understanding of this because I didn't realize that there's two words that are translated as anger. They're different words. So first we're commanded when we're angry and that means in settled opposition. When we're in settled opposition, we're not supposed to sin, sin not. And then we're commanded, don't let the sun go down on our anger. Now that anger is irritation, exasperation, and bitterness. So settled opposition can be a good thing when we're opposed to things that are opposed to God. You can hear the passion coming from those above verses when Holy Ghost through Paul says, that that is not the way you learned Christ. There is a righteous opposition to people thinking they can still live like unbelievers once they're in Christ. Okay, there, there is a right opposition. It's a good thing. We are passionate. We oppose false teaching. We oppose deceitfulness. We oppose unrighteousness, but we do it without sin. Yes. Okay? 
We don't let it irritate us or lead us into bitterness. We speak the truth in love. When we see that things are wrong in the body or in the church, it should make us angry in a settled opposition way. We are opposed to things that are not in line with God's word. It destroys unity when the church isn't in line with God's word. That's why it should unsettle us. You know, that's why we get settled in opposition to it because it is unsettling when truth isn't in the body, when, when God's word is not operating in his body. We shouldn't allow any wrong feelings from this, though, to continue. That's not letting the sun go down on your anger, on your irritation, on your bitterness. Don't hold on to it. You have to let go. Let go of that kind of anger because it is sin. Okay? And then in, here in verse 27, we're commanded to give no opportunity to the devil. The word for opportunity is a place, a seat, a position. The word for devil is diablos, a slander, a false accuser. When we allow wrong emotions to rule us, as it talked about in the above verse, when we allow the wrong kind of anger, okay, let's use that as an example because it's the next verse under it. When we allow that bitterness, that kind of anger to rule us, we open the door to the devil. We give him a position of influence in our life. We allow him to manipulate us. In fact, the Passion Translation says this verse, don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. Okay? That's what he does. He sees your righteous opposition. So he sees your anger without sin. He sees that correct opposition, and he tries to make you feel guilty, and he falsely accuses you. That's what a slander is. He falsely accuses you of having wrong anger. As long as you don't allow that opposition to get out of speaking the truth in love, you don't allow it to go into irritation or bitterness, you're safe. But the devil wants to accuse you falsely. He wants you to think you've done wrong. He'll say, you shouldn't have said anything to that person. Now they don't like you. They're mad at you. That's not walking in love. He is a liar. (laughs) We cannot allow him to deceive us into passivity and compromise. Okay? His goal is to render us completely ineffective in the kingdom. And so we just can't, we cannot give him opportunity. We cannot give him that position to come in and manipulate us. We cannot open the door to him by being in wrong emotions, being in wrong thinking, because he will come in and he'll use it against us. And he'll even use things when we are doing things right. He'll come in and say, nope, that's wrong. You shouldn't be doing it that way. Okay. And then we see in verse 28, it gives us an example. Okay. Here's the example of how things cannot be to- uh, continue to be tolerated in our lives. If a thief, someone who steals comes into the body, they have to stop stealing. It's simple. We don't tolerate stealing and say, oh, sure, you're grand. I mean, I understand, like, you don't have a lot. So stealing is kind of what you got to do, you know. I, I understand it's okay to steal for, for now, you know. So, no, we don't do that. <laughs> we correct them and encourage them to start working honestly, to start using those hands that we're stealing and start putting them to honest work to do things that are good. And this simple correction does what it brings blessing to that person and to the whole body. Because it says they will have enough to share. So that means they have enough for themselves, they have enough to share with others, they're in prosperity. That's right. Just from a simple correction, because you spoke the truth. 
You know, when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, he knew he was meeting with a thief. There was, he was not fooled. He was not, you know, he, he knew what he was dealing with. He was dealing with a thief. So Jesus met with Zacchaeus, and that time together, when, when Zacchaeus was with Jesus, it produced a change in him. Why? Because Jesus told him the truth. He did not pet, pet his flesh and say, it's okay, Zacchaeus, I understand, you know, it's really hard being a tax collector. It's really hard the kind of work you do. And really, you know, I understand why you're doing it. No, that's not, what, what would that have produced in Zacchaeus? He would have stayed the same. He would have been happy to continue on, and he would have never had this wonderful testimony. Because what did he do? He went back and he restored the things he stole, and he started doing honest work. And what did that bring? It brought prosperity, just like this verse says. You know, we are very selfish when we withhold the truth from people. When we are so afraid to tell people the truth, because we are stealing blessing from their life. We are not allowing God to pour out his blessing onto their righteousness, onto them coming into unity with Jesus and into his body. Fear of people getting mad at us and not liking us will hold us back from telling the truth. We're cowards when we allow this fear to control us. Perfect love casts out fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. We, as the body, cannot be wimps. We encourage and we love on people through truth. This brings new believers or even believers who are in, in deception. You know, there's believers who are lost in deception. There's believers who are just new to the body. It brings them into unity when we speak the truth in love. Okay, so verse 29. This verse is another command to the body. Let no, never allow, God forbid, any corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So this word for corrupt is slightly different. It still means rotten, not fit for purpose of poor or bad quality. It's not how our words should be. That's a description that should not describe a believer's words because it says, do not, never allow this. God forbid that this come out of your mouth. You know, you do this, you change it. So we're commanded not to allow it, which means what? We are empowered. There's an empowerment on the inside of us to change it. It's not impossible. Our mouths should not release things that are rotten, unfit, dirty, of poor quality. You know, that's not the kind of language we should have. If our mouth is like this, we change it. We cannot blame culture or habit. For letting it continue okay we have to ask holy spirit for help and change it if you need to talk less in order to retrain your mouth this could be a very good thing <laughs> james says be slow to speak be quick to hear okay you have two ears one mouth <laughs> should talk half as much as you hear right um, and you might just end up hearing and learning more that will help you grow and make it easier to change your words so what should we be releasing from our mouths? Only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Good for building up. The Helps Word Study defines this as constructive criticism and instruction that builds a person up to be the suitable dwelling place of God. So you cannot speak proper words that please God without his truth. 
If you're in fear of offending or making a person not like you, you'll never build them up in truth. We are here, here to build people up, but so many people think that building people up is making them feel really good about where they are right now, you know? And unfortunately, that's not right. Now, the way we do it matters, okay? And even, even this gives us instruction on this. It says, these words must be used as fits the occasion, as they are needed and useful. This is not about our own opinion, you know, helping people with our opinions, helping people in the timing we think it ought to be done in. No, it's out of Holy Spirit's fitting and proper time in the way he says to do it. He knows how to reach people, how to build them up, how to get them out of their problems and into their new life. Okay, we want to be a vessel to help him. We want to be a vessel to let him flow through us. Um, and these, these words should always give grace, favor, a shared benefit to those who hear. Our words should benefit the hearer, not condemn them, not pacify them, but give life and truth and love. Okay, it's a balance. Verse 30 says we can't grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen. To grieve means to experience deep emotional pain, severe sorrow. It is a very intense word in the Greek. It's even used of the pain of childbirth. What a horrible thought that we could put the Holy Spirit through that. You know, have you ever thought about that? I had never really meditated a lot on what that grieving meant, but that we could cause that kind of pain to Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit should be our best friend. We're sealed by him, it says. He's the signature of who owns us. He's the signature that says what rights and authority we have. We're made to live yielded and in harmony with Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did on this earth. When we live unyielded and unaware of his presence, we grieve him. You know, we are his temple, and we should be learning how to be led by him. Mature sons and daughters are led by the Spirit of God, okay? And, and it's true of us as a body as well. We can grieve the Holy Spirit as a body. Yeah. You know, when we come together as a body and we do things our own way, we leave him out of things, we put him on a leash, we grieve him. You know, we, we don't ever want to put Holy Spirit in a position where, where we're affecting him in that way. You know, God forbid it. <laughs> let's, let's be aware of how we're treating him. Let's be aware of how we're yielding to him, of how we're being sensitive to him. And then here in verse 31, here are more commands to keep us in unity with him. How are we doing on time? Golly. Okay. This is another thing where it says, you do this, you put this aside. This is lay aside. Okay, this is another thing you're going to have to do. <laughs> There's a lot of responsibility in the kingdom of God. <laughs> There's a lot of things that he wants us to do. Okay? Um, it says that we have to put aside bitterness. That word is poison. It means resentment. It's a toxic emotion that leads us into offense. It's thinking that we've been mistreated and wallowing in self-pity. Whether someone purposefully or accidentally mistreats us or whether we wrongly perceive that someone mistreats us, we have a choice in how we respond. We don't have to be bitter. We don't have to be resentful. We don't have to be offended. In fact, we shouldn't be. You know, but there is a choice in it. And it means that we, we don't have to be that way. If it says, put that off, then you don't have to be bitter. I mean, what a freedom that is. 
It just means next time somebody mistreats you, you'll get quicker and quicker at realizing, wait a second, I don't have to get upset about that. I don't have to feel bitter about that. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to let that go. It says that we're to cast off or put aside wrath. Wrath is passion-driven behavior, actions emerging out of strong impulses or intense emotion. It can be rage or, as the passion defines it, temper tantrums. We don't have to have temper tantrums. <laughs> That's a very freeing thing, too, to know. <laughs> See, I think when it says, tells us to put aside all these things, it's just knowing we don't have to have them. Like, how freeing is that, that we have the power inside of us that we don't have to live this way? Because it's bondage, you know? Bitterness, wrath, those are bondages. And then it says anger. Now, this word for anger, when it's used in the negative, has to do with vengeance. The passion calls it revenge. As we know, vengeance is in our place. It's the Lord's. We can't be desiring bad or harmful things for others even when they hurt us. We pray for those who despitefully use us and persecute us. Yes. The words of Jesus. So, once again, it frees us. It says, put aside clamor. Those are just loud out outcries against others. I just think those of drama queens, you know. You don't have to be a drama queen or king. <laughs> Put aside slander. That's the Greek word blasphemia. It literally means switching right for wrong or wrong for right. Yeah. It's what God disapproves, uh, calling it right. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. It's a compromise that allows and justifies wrong thoughts and behaviors and says they're no big deal. It attacks truth and righteousness and it calls it wrong. It's false accusation, just like we talked about earlier. And then finally, we're commanded to cast off malice. Malice is the underlying principle of evil, which is present, even if it's not outwardly expressed. It's especially dangerous because it's a hidden agenda. Malice is a hidden agenda of desiring bad for others. Um, it's wanting and enabling bad things to come upon someone's reputation or upon their well-being. It can be subtle, sneaky, and it's always manipulative. Okay, so that's malice. Once again, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to walk in that. We shouldn't. Okay. Verse 32 finally comes into, instead of all this stuff to take off and cast away and lay aside, here's some things to put on. Here's some things to do to walk in. Be kind to one another. Furnish what is useful and be beneficial to each other. That's what being kind means. Furnish what is useful and be beneficial to each other. Kindness is just like everything else we've talked about walking in love. It has to be in truth. Same with tenderheartedness. Be tenderhearted. Be compassionate, empathetic, and merciful. You know, we have to treat the body of Christ like we would want our physical body to be treated. We, we want our physical body to be treated gently, right? But we also don't want people to lie and say that we're healthy when we're not because that doesn't actually help our physical body, does it? Okay, we have to know the truth. If there's something wrong, if there's something that's not healthy, we need to know the truth so that something can be done about it, right? So when we're kind and we're tenderhearted, we're helping people, we're enabling them, we're being beneficial to them, being merciful to them to help them to grow out of the junk that they've got themselves stuck into because it's 
just like what Jesus did for us. And that's that next verse, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's a freely given pardon, even if it isn't deserved. And obviously we could do a whole series on forgiveness, but we're just getting a simple understanding about the body. You know, the, the fact of the matter is people will hurt you and they'll disappoint you, full stop. Even people who don't mean to, people who have right motives, pure motives, they'll still hurt you. And then there's plenty who will hurt you just to do it intentionally. But the point is, forgiveness takes us out of the realm of being offendable and staying hurt. It allows us to have a pure heart to stay out of all the characteristics we talked about, malice, slander, clamor, anger, wrath, bitterness. Forgiveness keeps us out of that. It releases us from the bondage of victimhood and puts us in the place or the position of victor. Nobody said forgiveness is easy can be a process depending on how deep the wound is, but we have the empowerment to walk in it. We're commanded to, so we are empowered to. We can forgive. Meditating on all the forgiveness you receive from Jesus is gonna help you to identify as a forgiven person. It's who you are, okay? You're forgiven. And then forgiveness is gonna flow more freely through you. You know. That was, that's the last verse we have tonight, and we've taken in a huge amount of information, I know. Um, but what we do with this information now is our choice. You know, and I just am going to pray over us as we're leaving tonight. And I'm going to pray that we're going to be doers of the word and not hearers only, because that deceives ourselves. Okay? I hope that we're all going to make wise decisions to dig in, to meditate on this stuff, to read back through it on our own, and ask Holy Spirit to teach us. Okay, so Father God, we just thank you and praise you for your word. Oh, thank you for the truth in your word. Thank you. It is the standard. Oh, it is the foundation. It is what we build our lives upon is you, is your truth, is your word, is Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us in truth, not leaving us the way we are but growing us and helping us and empowering us to become more like you. Oh, Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want the body to be fitly joined together, to be powerful. Oh, to flow with all your good characteristics and traits. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for training us, for bringing us up. Bringing us up into your word. Oh, that we're, we're, we're going to leave behind all of those parts of our old self that we keep trying to pick up. Thank you. You're going to help us see those things, identify those things, see that they don't fit. They just don't go with our new outfit, with our robe of righteousness. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you that there's an intentional choice we're making every day to wake up and, and to choose you, to choose our new self, to choose who you made us to be and to desire and hunger to know you more. We love you, Jesus. We honor you. We thank you for your word, for everything you spoke to us tonight. We go out of here as your ambassadors on faith and love, walking in love towards one another and truth, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for who you've called us to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so glad you-
you to join us for our latest message. We are located in the city at 76 Strand Road, and we would love for you to call in and join us. Details are on our website at islandchurch.co.uk.